welcome to My Friend the Foreigner, a new podcast that we're starting for women from really different parts of the world coming together to talk about pop culture, politics, life, cultural hijinks, and anything else that we find falls under this I thought you said cultural hygiene. Cultural hygiene. <laughs> what is that? Could be one of the topics. Hijinks, you know, like... You know, Actually, you know, I have you a cultural hygiene story for the end. We'll save it for the pod. Save it for the pod. Um, okay, so I think the first thing we should do is kind of let you guys know who we are. We'll introduce ourselves a little bit by meeting my friend. Start with Mika. Hi guys, I'm Mika. I'm from Trinidad. And that's all I'll say because I'll be introduced later. <laughs> let, me, let me introduce my friend, the foreigner, Priya, who's not really a foreigner because we're in London and she's British. But as Priya, you can tell from my accent, from her accent, <laughs> my accent. <laughs> so I call her Pri Pri, and we met. <laughs> how did we meet Pri? We met at well, we we go to LSE doing a master's program, and we met in our first seminar, and we were just sitting together in between some people, and I was like, this this is the chillest, coolest girl ever, <laughs> and you know, like you and go, I was like, I need friends. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and she's really like into like music and lifestyle and she just knew a lot of random stuff that I'm like how does she know that you know so that was really cool and what else what's quirk about her oh Priya drinks the most tea of anybody <laughs> that I've ever met and she pees and he, so little yeah <laughs> Actual like quantity. She doesn't know the quantities. She doesn't know. <laughs> she doesn't know. She doesn't I don't know. measure the And the thing is, and the thing is, like you know, I I kind of have to bribe her with stuff sometimes. Like Priya, come do this with me, please, please. And she'd be like, uh. And then I'd be like, we could get some tea. And she'd be like, okay. And then we'll go on. <laughs> and she does everything I want. That's so true. yeah, I can. That's probably that. like that's probably like the weirdest kind of quickest foreign thing. That's though. the most white quirk I've ever been named as <laughs> And what else? What did Priya teach me? She taught me that age is, is just a number. Because she makes me... Well, guys, I'm like the old broad in the mix, right? So she taught me that age is just a number. Like She makes me feel young and she surprised me with how mature she is. So when we met... Oh, that was a big deal. When we met each other, we were drinking at Dynarama. And we were like, how old are you? <laughs> and she was like, I wouldn't say. And then I was like, I wouldn't say again. And then we were like, what? And it was just like, we couldn't, I couldn't believe she was so young and she couldn't believe I was so You're old. not. <laughs> she was not. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm not that old, but I'm old elder. I'm a little you're elder. You're older than us. That doesn't mean you're old. I'm young at heart. You're young at heart. My turn? Yeah. So, guys. This is, I'm Bria, and I'm going to talk about my friend, the foreigner, <laughs> Elena. That was me making that. that <laughs> I was not going to make that so When did I meet? I met Elena at the... So we all go to the LSE, mm-hmm. just to confirm that. Um, and just to confirm that. And I met her at the welcome evening for our department. Oh, yeah. I bumped into you and Meredith, and... We were chatting, and then we ended up at the worst bar in London, which for some reason was named as the place to go, <laughs> called Walkabout, that was right oh, next to our uni. 
and I was chatting with you and, you and Meredith and it was like really fun and I was like oh this is going to be a, well actually no we, West Bend Age is looking for a nice pub near the uni yeah we did like a little pub hopping which ended up with us just sitting in Chilang in that burrito yeah, place yeah, for a bit Chipotle. The fake Chipotle. Yeah. <laughs> I remember that. I remember. And we ended up in Walkabout, and I remember being quizzed by you and Meredith about British oh, slang. Oh, British Bake Off. About Great British we Bake Off. Like, we were like, so where does Mary Berry live? Um, how do you... What's a Victoria sponge? The consistency. <laughs> yeah, I think, yeah. That is... Way. I think that was our, like, our true friendship connection was when I showed Eleanor what a Victoria sponge was. I and I saw her eyes light up <laughs> with the taste of cream and jam. It was one of the best moments still to date. Do you usually <laughs> quiz people when you meet them for the first time? Or was that just... <laughs> I think that was Meredith. I think oh. it was not me. <laughs> <laughs> I try to get to know people, if that's what you mean, Louise. Yes, yeah. I do. And then what um, what did Eleanor teach me? I learned my I, my pop culture view of America was completely flipped on its head because I was like, Ooh. oh, this is what actual, like, I'm learning real <laughs> stuff about America and American people and New York, which I genuinely, like, will admit yeah. was just, like, oh, was me watching 30 Rock. And I was like, mm. this is what <laughs> all it's of New all York true. is like and all of America is like. And even learning things like when I came to your guys' house for... Um, New Year was what was it? Uh, was it? Yeah, Jewish, Jewish New Year. Year. Yeah, Jewish New Year. Jewish New Year. Um, yes, I am Jewish as well, kind of. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kind of Jewish. I, mean, I am. I am. My mom's Jewish. I grew up like. No, but that was it. Was a really stuff. cool thing for me to learn about like the different nuances of American culture, which I think that people Aww. overlook. Do um, I? Uh, do I have a quirk? <laughs> your your voice, the, vo- the voices, voices, the voices are your. I mean, there are so many, so many quirks I could choose from. Oh, the voices stand out as pro- probably the most notable one, and also mm-hmm. the most creepy one when Eleanor starts singing in like a British baby voice Boy. in the middle of the night, and everyone's like, "It's the middle of the night. It's usually in the middle of the night." and then she starts this British baby singing voice, voices and it freaks us out. Cosette from Les Misérables, <laughs> yeah. or a old Jewish woman yeah, that's, that's one. <laughs> one of my personal favorites <laughs> or an Australian which I was very impressed by really good at doing Australian is that good? <laughs> Australian Australian Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, I shouldn't have asked, guys. Moving on. Okay, let me introduce my friend Louise. Hi, guys. She is Norwegian and obsessed with candy. That's right. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) We also met first at LSE. I think it was the first, first like day of classes. Maybe we met in the library. I think we met actually in. in Her old dreams are made. Like Charlie Beckett's class or something no, like that. I remember we met, we met in the lecture theater. I think we met before that in the library because we went. We all went to lunch. It was like you, me, Eliza, mm. and Meredith, mm. and we like sat and like talked about like what we had done over the summer and like our. Le- it was nice. It was like a cute little me cute and then I was like I'm gonna make this person my friend <laughs> that is something I do not quiz people but I like get determined I'm like I'm gonna make you. this person my friend <laughs> come here you're my friend no. um, I, I think one of her quirks is that she's just so like funny and fun and like I, I don't know if it's a quirk or as much but it's like she always has something weird to say or like funny like you learn something situation. weird about Louise yeah. every day. 
Like she her, always sticks her tongue out always. and kicks her leg up when she's imitating something. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't even know that before I met you guys. I apparently take my tongue out all the time. <laughs> Stop. Doing that. It's like I'm like, that why emoji? am I unemployed? That's probably why. If I'm always taking my tongue it's out. Louise has a tongue emoji, like the Norwegian version of the tongue. Uh, emoji. That's horrible to say because it's my favorite <laughs> emoji. I hate that emoji. And then because I started mimicking it, now I'm it. You know, that's that's thing they no, say in like psychology is like the thing that you identify as something you hate the most. <laughs> you become, what you hate the most about yourself. You become, oh my god, <laughs> you are the tongue emoji. This is a therapy session. <laughs> Wait, okay. Uh, yeah, so I feel like every day she's teaching me something new. She's just like this encyclopedia of global knowledge and current events. She's like this. Oh. Yeah, we call her. You know, Louise Theroux, you know, yeah. she's like, she's got this way of just knowing and, and interest in the world and going out and discovering things. And it's always like a mini documentary talking to her. Yeah. She's like, have yeah. you heard about? I'm like, oh my so God. So curious. About <laughs> the, world is, the world is opening up in front of our eyes. That and she's taught me a lot about candies. <laughs> Lots of different types of candies. I'm really, I'm really glad you brought up both the Louise Theroux thing because I was scared that no one was gonna bring it up and I would have to be like, <laughs> I identify as Louise Theroux because that would be lame. But I'm doing it now, so I it's guess good. it happened anyway. It happened. And also the candy thing. I think it's good that we that we um, got yeah. that out of the way. If you ever hear some crackling noises, that's just me yeah, having candy. Some candy. She just always has candy. So yeah, I'm Louise, and um, I think it's about time to introduce Mika, who started this whole session off. I actually, when you said you call Priya Pri-Pri, I actually call Mika Priya. <laughs> Which is, I mean, don't do it intentionally, because I mean, you're not, you're not that I'm not similar. Priya. But you're, 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 you're <laughs> no, but it's just that you hang out a lot. And I, I guess I got to know both of you better kind of uh, together. But I remember very well the first time I met Mika, which was also in the lecture theater. Uh, and you were so open and out there and it was so refreshing because everyone was really kind of shy and looking at each other and giving each other weird looks and had like awkward body language and you were like hi I'm Mika and I was like whoa (laughs) (laughs) whoa you did a little too much no it was great it was so refreshing and I remember we exchanged Facebook and like WhatsApp numbers or whatever because there was a party that night that we might we thought about maybe going to and you were really you made me feel so welcome at LSE. I think you're the one mm-hmm. I met at LSE that I felt the most comfortable with to begin with, and still actually. Uh, and yeah, it was just nice to have someone as confident and open-minded and kind of curious and engaged as you was oh, as you were to oh begin with, because a lot of people, as I said, are really <laughs> backwards uh, or shy, I guess, when they come to a new university. And something that I learned about you, I think, um, after a while was that you're the queen of timeout. <laughs> so Mika has vouchers to everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she needs timeout.com slash Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they need to pay me. They need to pay me. Yeah, oh, they, they I do pay I you. Pay you. So Mika always says timeout needs to pay me, but they do because you get vouchers all the time. You're like, you want to go to Dinorama? I'm like, I don't have vouchers. <laughs> Like, bowling? We're like, how? Okay. Money? She's like, oh, oh watch us. It's free. It's about, something about us all, too, is that we are all now living in London. And that's that's one thing we have in common, that we're all from different places. Um, so what's that? Apart from me. Apart from you. Well, no, you're but, not from... I live in our... As but, some people have pointed out, I'm not from London. Yeah. But yeah, what what is, like, something that brought us all... 
to London? Why Why did you come? Why did each of us come here? I Well, I had already been here for three years for my yeah. undergrad, and I stayed for my master's, uh, mainly because of the program for LSE, and my boyfriend was moving here for work, so I tried kind of looking for master's here. I was going to initially take a gap year. I'm really glad now that I didn't, because yeah. I wouldn't have met you guys, and mm-hmm. I wouldn't have kind of learned anything. Uh, well, I probably would have learned something new, hopefully, regardless of what I'd done, but I feel like, yeah, it was good to stay around. Yeah. For me, well, I came from Trinidad. Did you tell them I was from Trinidad? No, I didn't. You told them yourself when you <laughs> yeah. opened your mouth. I did. <laughs> that's because I was so proud of it. Trinidad. And that's also something you said when I first met you. You were like, ha, Mika, I'm from Trinidad. I was like, okay. The voice is so... We didn't know. But, yeah, so I came from Trinidad, and I've been... I worked in the U.S. for a long time, so... And I went to school, went to college in the U.S., so I kind of wanted to just do something different like not go back there or go back to a place that I've been before um so London was kind of a place that I was like oh yeah I want to experience London and well I just got married like right before we came to school which was kind of crazy so my husband and I were trying to find a place that we want to kind of build our first year of marriage together Mm -hmm. so yeah so that's how I ended up in London um mine's pretty not that exciting I finished my undergrad at the University of Warwick and then I moved back home to Eastbourne which is on the southeast coast was looking for a job I got an internship in London last year was here for it was in between London and Eastbourne for the most of last year and then I got into LSE um after that took the rest of the year off went backpacking (laughs) Found myself. Eat, pray, love. Eat, pray, love. Yourself, lost yourself again. Lost yourself. <laughs> Stumbled into London and then ended up here. Yeah. So, but I'm very familiar with the city because my brother lived here for eight years. Nice. So, um, I don't know if I've ever told you guys. It's gonna sound really creepy, but like, <laughs> I grew up like a super kind of like anglophile oh this and is my, also how we became friends i think it is it is it's like everyone's like oh have you ever heard of this obscure british show i'm like <clears throat> yes i have <laughs> um yeah like when i was a kid all i wanted to do i think i saw like england or london is like the opposite or like not even the opposite the bizarro new york that was like so similar but different and i always wanted to like travel to london and live in another place because i've grown up in new york my whole life and I like just yeah I grew up watching like Monty Python and just like every like British thing I at one point my my mom will tell you I wanted to paint a union shack on my wall oh my god and she was like you can't A <laughs> A no A, a no and B no no <laughs> Um, but yeah, I've just always wanted to live in another sort of international city. I, I lived in New York my whole life. I went to college in Vermont. I studied abroad for a year in Italy, and I just like got this travel bug like from the first moment that I was allowed to leave the house. Like, the first city in the world that I ever visited outside of America was London when I was 16. And I just always wanted to come back and sort of see what it would be like if my, I don't know, if my life were different than I had grown up here. So, yeah. And of so course, there's so much to learn about us, but yeah. we'll figure it out as we go along. Daddy told me, son, don't you get involved in politics, religions, other people's clothes. So, um, we have kind of decided to divide this uh, into a few different sections. And um, the second, or one, one thing that we all have in common is that we're all quite, uh, I would say, interested in different things and quite politically involved, or at least we discuss a lot of 
current affairs and trends amongst ourselves mm -hmm. and with other friends. So we have this section called Je ne sais quoi. <laughs> <laughs> um, where we would like to discuss some current affairs information, misinformation, and really different perspectives. And even though, I mean, we're all friends and we all really like each other's points of view, so we often come to similar conclusions. Because we're from different places, I feel like each of us might be able to spice different topics up a little bit. Um, but as we were just talking about, we're all gathered here in London and last week, about nine days ago, there was actually an attack um, at Westminster. Mm -hmm. And for me, that was really weird because I've been here, I've, this is my fourth year here, and I've always kind of waited for something like this to happen, and then it happened, and then that was just very bizarre for me, and that it wasn't as big scale as I had maybe anticipated when I thought about it in my head. Um, but yeah, at least that was a very um, bizarre experience for me, I think. And how did you all, all feel about that happening in London, that some of you have just recently come to love kind of yeah I think um, for me as well like I don't know growing up in a big city growing up in in New York having experienced 9-11 and sort of living in this post 9-11 world of constant like terrorism threats it was I don't know it wasn't something that I don't wait in anticipation as much of it I kind of just see it as another I don't know there's something that City Khan, the mayor of, of London, had said recently. Not, yeah. He said, um, not even recently, maybe a few months ago, that sort of terror has just become this other element of life. It's part and, and of, part of part living, in, living in a big city. And he city. got some heat for it. Yeah, I think, but mm -hmm. he, I mean, he said that before the attack, and it wasn't as related to it as, as people sort of assumed that it was, but I had that same feeling. Like, the first time I came to London, it was right after the the, sort of the, Bus and tube bombings. Yeah, um, seven, seven, seven. Yeah, and so it's just sort of been in my mind that something like this could happen. But yeah, we were like sitting together, me and Priya. In it the was library. a really weird. Yeah, me and Eleanor in the library, and the kind of BBC alert pops up on your phone, right? Just saying shooting in Westminster, and I think that's what got me because as someone that's grown up in England, not necessarily London, but in a country where shooting definitely doesn't happen, like like that much and things feel relatively safe I don't know I don't know what it's it's not like we always see America and we're like oh we're not America you know we don't it's that kind of level of terror or the way it's portrayed anyway isn't the same here it's scaled down a lot more so when it happened I just felt very like it was a really surreal feeling and my immediate and also because it's close to the LSE so yeah. that was a kind of weird fear as well and I've never been in London when it happened like when 7-7 seven, seven happened, I think I was at home in Eastbourne. So I was still quite distant from it. Um, and it was, a, yeah, it was a really, really like, surreal feeling. And I think I suddenly felt like we were talking about the other day, me and Mika, about like the, when police appear on the streets, for some people, it's not usual in London to have that much security around. For some people, it makes them feel safer. For me, it just made me feel a little bit more insecure because I was like, there's a reason why there are people here when they're not normally here. And the next morning I was seeing all these police from the riverbank, I was like, okay, I know it's all fine, but the fact that it's happened was a mm. bit of a strange thing. And I think it's something people have been anticipating after everything that happened last summer in mm. Germany and Nice and mm. all of the different attacks. And so it really was, and it wasn't, a, not downplaying it, but 
luckily wasn't as big of a scale of attack mm-hmm. or anything like that. And it should also be said that, I mean, the London police has gotten a lot of credit for being able to prevent a lot of attacks. I think they've prevented something like 30 attacks since uh, 7-7. And I've always actually thought of that too, living in London, that I know, because they've talked about it publicly, that they have prevented so many. And even though in a way that makes you scared because you know that so many people are planning an attack here, the fact that they have the resources and like the mobilization they need to actually prevent so many in a way can uh, can be a bit reassuring mm. it's funny though because i i sensed that something bad was going to happen that day mm. but i didn't know what it was going to be i just had this kind of weird kind of heavy feeling in the morning and the same thing i told you all the same mm-hmm. thing happened when trump won like i just had a heavy feeling and i didn't know where it was coming from oh my god you're like a psychic, um, can, you a have, psychic. can you have these feelings like three months in advance and let us know no, but I just, but it's not like I know, I know what it I is. Know, it's yeah. just that, like, you just get in this mood and you're like, why am I in this mood? Like, mm-hmm. um, this is not PMS. Like, mm-hmm. you know, that was last week. You know, so. <laughs> Red day. What? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Red day on my calendar. But, um, like, for me, well, Trinidad has a lot of crime right now. So, you know, you're used to kind of always watching your back a little bit, you know, because we've become a lot more vigilant, you know, in terms of just things happening and just being aware and being sharp and all that but it's funny that when you come to london then you kind of abandon all that Mm -hmm. so like to me it was kind of like a reminder to oh yeah you know you're not that safe i was in dc for 9-11 so it wasn't just as you all know the twin towers it was the pentagon Mm -hmm. as well so in dc it was like mass panic people running around now of course that's a bigger scale of attack but what i did feel here i still felt safer here afterwards compared to that situation a because it was probably smaller but i feel like it people weren't running around screaming Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. it was kind of like the next day you could see people being somber but they were getting about their business Mm -hmm. and you weren't seeing police with machine guns or anything visibly anywhere so that made me feel like they were in control of the situation Mm -hmm. yeah i think it's i mean it's definitely one of those things where 9-11 was the first kind of of its kind and it's since then there's become this like rote way of dealing with these situations mm-hmm. and so everyone kind of knows the you know the procedure a little bit more but yeah mm-hmm. it did it did surprise not surprise me but like this attitude of like keep calm carry on like yeah. really took over and yeah. she's like the minute it happened or, or like leaving the library like an hour later people were just going about their day and I think I think there's so much of it that, you know, people do feel terror, terrorized, but they also feel like I still have to live my life. And in New York, I think the same thing happens. Like there was a, a bombing attempt recently in the city in lower Manhattan. And my brother told me, he was like, right after it happened, everyone was still going out. That was the one in the pressure Yeah, and they were like, they were still, they're, they're worse for, they were like, okay, the D train's not running now. This is really inconvenient in my <laughs> life, but yeah. it mm-hmm. becomes a little bit more of like, I, I hate to say it, like an inconvenience mm. than it does. In that instance, no one was hurt and no mm. one's, um, no one died. And so there's, it allows that to take over. It becomes this inconvenience. I think, uh, I think it's very interesting how things at the, in London, things went about like before rather quickly. But when you see the coverage from somewhere else, like my relatives in Norway would contact me or my sisters at least were immediately were like, are you okay? And it was far from campus, uh, but I still felt the need to tell them that, yes, it's fine, blah, blah, blah. Mm. And then I went to Westminster to report on on the attack for a paper that I work for. And um, 
I remember I think I thought it was really weird to kind of be there while scrolling the news because when I was there it was so calm nothing was really happening there were some armed police and I found that that's just me personally I don't feel very safe by that but I know yeah, that's controversial because I know that a lot of people do feel safer I personally don't so that was m what made me feel the most uncomfortable because that when you mm -hmm. see armed police you know they're mm -hmm. trying to prevent something mm -hmm. there's danger mm -hmm. near yeah exactly. and, but the thing mm -hmm. is that I think um you almost especially with these attacks that aren't as big scale where you know it's it's very localized it's happening at one place in the city and that in after westminster attack that was cleared really quickly um the media coverage makes it seem much more chaotic than than it actually is yeah and I, I, sorry i think i think because i wasn't watching the news mm -hmm. that i like i was okay because yeah. my father called me and he was like what's going on da, 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 mm. da. i'm like i'm good <laughs> and he's like, like, you sound in real calm. I was like, well, first of all, I don't even really think I know what's going on. Yeah. Because everything wasn't updated on social media, you know. So I was like, Daddy, you know what's going on. And he gave me more information <laughs> than I had. And he was calling me for information. And he was like, oh, yeah, well, this is what happened. And this is how many people died. And he was mm. more, you know, so... But my mother was like, oh, yeah, I kind of forgot you were in London in the mm. moment, and, mm. you know, so, yeah. Yeah, it was funny for me because my my parent, my mom is especially the kind of person that worries. Even, like, after 7-7, she was like, well, you're not living in London ever, mm. and that's mm. that. And I was like, well, that's not how life works. <laughs> you need to realize that. And I called her after the attack because my phone was about to die. I was like, if she sees us on the news, she's going to freak out. And I called her up and she was like pretty calm. She was just like, oh, okay. And then she was like, oh, as long as you're fine. And then we spoke about it later and she was like, I will say one thing. She was like, I want you to be careful. And she was like, I know London's fine, but I think more than anything, they're calling this a terror attack again, which is now going to make people even more like scared and kind of rile up the kind of Islamophobic fear mm. that we have now. And she has recently kind of told me as a person, as a person of color an indian person you need to be a bit more wary and that's something mm. she's never said to me before like mm. she's never made me feel like i have to be cautious mm. just because recently things like i remember last summer like a muslim woman got pushed in front of the tube quite soon after mm. the nice attacks and very small things like that and that kind of really set like a tone for me in my head mm. more than anything more than everything that happened the actual mm. attack i was like oh this is just another the way it was reported as a terror attack is just another thing contributing to this whole like mm -hmm. atmosphere mm. that's interesting how it's immediately portrayed as even the first initial uh utterances from leading politicians and stuff like that was that we will not it was that typical terror rhetoric where mm -hmm. like they will not they will not ruin our democracy we will keep taking back our streets and i was a bit overwhelmed by that because i was like well we don't even know what's happened mm -hmm. and then it turned out that it was Khalid Masood who was 52 and born and raised uh, in the uk uh, and still i mean isis took uh, like said they were behind the attack but it was um Funny. uh but it was still uh, I mean, they they take they say they're responsible for any attack that could be traced back to anything that has to do with uh, with Islam. Cool. Yeah, and so I I also think that um, sort of this idea of homegrown terrorism versus like versus international terrorism and the idea of like 
is it a Muslim person? Is it someone who's doing it for religious political reasons? I think that's the first thing that we always want to jump to. And that's the first thing that comes up on the news. It's like, this was a terror attack. This is what's happening. And sorry, this that's London, not, that's, London for you. That's, yeah. that's um, not us calling the Pope. <laughs> um, oh man, I lost my train of thought. But I think, yeah, that's the first thing that we want to go to and say that's happened but we have this reluctance to believe or like understand that a lot of this terrorism this idea of like terrorizing people and of committing crimes that are um racially or religiously or politically motivated can also come from inside as well Mm -hmm. these are homegrown terrorists this is somebody who you know grew up in england who you know probably became radicalized along the way or maybe had some mental issues and decided when he was going to attack that he was going to align himself with some mm. political point of view, some perspective to sort of support his motivations mm. and maybe he had no real connection. I mean, we don't, we still don't know. But then in New York as well recently, um, there's there was a man, uh, a white man who came to New York and um, hunted, basically hunted down black men in the aim of killing a large amount of them and he killed one black man randomly that he saw with a sword and was caught the next day um he turned himself into the police and said that his motivations were that he came there to kill black men that he hated black people that he you know was racist and that he wanted them all to die and there was a huge call on social media and i'm not sure how much this had to do with it to label him as a terrorist to say this is terrorism. Mm. We're always so reluctant to say, you know, that people who are not brown, people who are mm. not m- Muslims, people who are mm. not religiously motivated are terrorists. We never call in America, we don't call like the KKK terrorists. When did this we happen? Don't, this was, I think this was just last week, okay. or maybe yeah. in the last like few days. And he's being tried now. Um, he's being charged with a terrorist act, murder as terrorism. Mm. But you see, I think going back a bit to. The whole foreigner is a threat thing. Mm-hmm. A lot of the homegrown terrorism is still being described as though it's a foreigner, in my opinion. So it's mm-hmm. almost like, oh yeah, well, this person had mental issues and, mm-hmm. you know, they, they were still kind of on the fringe of society. When, in fact, I think that a lot of these places where terrorism is happening, there's a lot of social mm. history yeah. that bred it. And people are not taking responsibility for how they have marginalized these people. Like, France is a perfect example. Like, that's been going on for so long, and it's always been a situation where they have been, there have been riots in, like, the suburbs of France and all of this. And now that, you know, these people are being mm-hmm. radicalized, they're acting as though, oh, ISIS came and just changed their minds. Mm-hmm. No, mm-hmm. like, you, this was something that French society produced mm-hmm. and now is being capitalized upon. And I feel mm-hmm. like that's, hap- that's the case in a lot of places. And a lot, a lot of the media and even the politicians and the society at large is not taking, is not taking ownership of mm-hmm. the problem. I think there's this tendency to other the attacker yeah. immediately yeah, to this person we will not allow this person to take this and this away from us instead of realizing that this is coming from within and I've always found it more interesting to look at radicalization than terrorism because if you are radicalized then you can do anything mm-hmm. so I mean terrorism is a result of radicalization and not vice versa so I think it's important to be I think it's That's I understand really that people don't want to fully take responsibility like for instance in Norway uh, the terror attack um on the youth camp on Utøya and 
in Oslo was um, a white Norwegian guy, mm -hmm. and he was a right extremist. And there was a long uh, hearing about whether or not he was mentally ill, and that that discussion in itself rose fury in Norway because some people felt like by calling him mentally ill, you're taking away mm -hmm. like his responsibility and his and his incentives to wanting to kill yeah. people. And he was against like multiculturalism and immigration and stuff like that. But at the same time, I, so I see with that case, for instance, I can see why no one in Norway wants to be associated with him. Like personally, if someone was to, he went to the same high school as my boyfriend and a lot of my friends oh, wow. before they went there. Mm. He went to a club in Oslo where we go all the time. And if someone was to say like, oh, you hang out with these places, so can you kind of associate with Breivik? I would be like, fuck no, don't put me in the same booth as him. I have nothing to do with him. But I think still in order to prevent these things to happen and to prevent radicalization to get the roots that they're getting across the world right now it's important to look at what you can do in schools what you can do in friend groups what you can do what you can personally do because you can do something yeah. uh, and unless you recognize that homegrown terrorism and homegrown violence and homegrown mental illness is a thing yeah. then preventing it is just going to be that much harder i think and like i think that like goes on quite nicely it's something that we've all been talking about recently and something that came up like if, i think it was about a month ago that um shashi Taro, who's a i think he's a, a he's a british mp um mm. and he has just released a book called inglorious empire and he gave a talk at the lse and also had like a, a video that went viral on channel four where he was talking about how it's so ridiculous that British students don't, British children don't learn about colonialism at school. Mm. And it's something that I was kind of aware of when I watched that video. I was like, huh, yeah, I didn't learn about it at school. Because mm. obviously I know what happened because <laughs> I'm Indian and <laughs> my parents made sure I knew <laughs> what happened. What do you mean? It's like, so like in textbooks or lessons, do you mean there's, what is it? It's just not part of the syllabus. Like at A level, so like just, you know, your like last year of school, you can, if you, there are certain history syllabuses where you um, can learn about colonialism. Like one of the module choices or like some school syllabuses have that but it's not it's an option it's an option it's, it's, not, it's yeah. not something that's that it's not something that you it's part like when you're at younger that's part of your mm -hmm. core learning we learn about the tudors we learn about american history we learn about the french revolution but we don't learn about colonialism and mm. what the british empire did and like i had this kind of weird like education on it when i got the base understanding from my parents and then another understanding from my grandpa who's like a massive hindu nationalist but also thinks that like what colonialism did was he was like those indians that say colonialism is all bad we've got to acknowledge that it was good for our country as well blah 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 so i had this really weird skewed understanding mm -hmm. um and it wasn't until recently that i just thought that it kind of hit home for me like the reason why they have this have this kind of disjointed attitude towards people who are different in England, I think comes a lot for the fact that they don't realize the roots of mm. a lot of this hostility and a lot of the mm. discourse that again, re-emerged re during Brexit and around Brexit. Yeah, and I mean, colonialism in itself, slavery, because well, for us in Trinidad, you had slavery, which was the Africans. Well, you actually go, go back. You had the Native Americans who they basically obliterated. Then you had slavery of the Africans. Then you had East Indian indentorship, which was very oppressive in itself. Then you had colonialism, 
you know, like that period of colonialism and then you had post-colonialism where we still had a lot of ties to mm-hmm. the UK and all of that. And that in itself was a form of terrorism. So who are you now to come tell me that, oh, you know, we have this extreme view and we are so violent and we are so other and we are all of this. Mm-hmm. And from the immigration perspective, after you rape my country of resources, after you build, you know, sometimes I travel and I see all these huge buildings in like Spain, because we are colonized by almost everybody, <laughs> Spain, <laughs> France, UK, Dutch for Tobago, right? Mm-hmm. So like you see all of this, this glorious empire and I always feel conflicted because I always have to remember like this was built on the backs of this was built on our backs you know mm-hmm. and so for us to now come into these countries build the economy after they had their, their their recessions and all of that they welcomed immigration because we were supposed to rebuild the economy of the us and the uk and these you know dominant cultures and then when it's not convenient anymore or your other or your terrorists or you're stealing our jobs and now you want to kick us back out like mm. there's you know it's, it's much more than just what we see right now and mm. that's why it's so painful for a lot of people and that's why people are lashing out obviously there are different reasons there's religion in there there's a lot of things in there but people I, I just feel like there's no responsibility and there's not much discourse around the roots of all of this mm-hmm. Well, it's like to to use Louise's favorite term, hist- like historical cultural amnesia. It's this, you know, <laughs> we, yeah. it's yeah. first of all, it's that it's that forgetting, but it's also that we've decided we've moved to this place where like we're modern now. That mm-hmm. was in the past. We've done that. We've we've made amends. We've we've changed. We're now living in a modern society. Like we might have done that then, but now people can't people can't do it now cuz we know it's wrong. We didn't know it was wrong then or, you know, we knew it was wrong and now we've changed. That kind of mentality of the past is in the past. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the mistakes that were made can only have been made once. No mm-hmm. one else can make them and that, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. there's, you know, there's no reason to still hold on to bad feelings and and grudges and and you know the institutionalized uh poverty racism whatever that has been born out of that colonialism and we continue to just sort of build on top of that without that that foundation without really understanding what it it how it continues to have an impact on current society and like uh, in the U.S., there's been a lot of talk about like renaming and like re-remembering the history and like things like s- cities and schools and stuff that have been named after people who were, for lack of a better term, terrorists who p- terrorized and colonialized the United States. And in my brother's college in in Amherst, Massachusetts, that whole town is called Amherst. It's named after this man, Jeffrey Amherst, who came in and is known as one of the first biological warfare um, like technicians, terrorists, who came in and gave smallpox blankets to Native Americans <laughs> to eradicate them, to get them out of that area so that they could build up a town that is called Amherst and has a college there. And while I don't really... I don't know what I think my opinion is really on renaming. I think, I don't think we should wash away history. I don't think we should pretend it didn't happen. I don't think we should necessarily strike it from the record and rename things mm. and, and forget what happened. But I think we need to talk more about it and we mm. need to discuss what actually occurred. I don't think we should just pretend that that wasn't our history, that yeah. was our country. 
I mean, renaming it would be a bit like 1984 Orwell, where you just, whenever history doesn't yeah. suit you anymore, you just <laughs> wipe it out, basically. That's yeah. literally what's happened. And the the sale of Orwell's 1994 has rocketed after Trump. Donald Trump, Trump was elected. Yeah. And I think that's interesting in terms of uh, what kind of priorities you think um, will be kind of um, overwhelmed or will be overwhelmingly surfaced now and which things will be forgotten. And I think uh, an important um, thing about when you talk about colonialism and historical remembering historical contexts, so as the university that I went to had um, this campaign of decolonizing the curriculum because it was it's a, this is School of Oriental and African Studies and it's mainly organized around um, the Middle East, Africa, and Asia, and the perspectives from the global South, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, and one of the the kind of the aims of the decolonizing the curriculum was to uh, be taught a more critical standpoint because a lot of the white philosophers that are representing the curriculum apparently um, do not acknowledge the colonial context that they're writing in. So it's not necessarily so that they disregard colonialism or things like this, but it's more about being reflexive about their own standpoint. And a lot of the the academics and politics and whatever in the Western uh, world is often, even though it's kind of Mm self-reflexive, the context is what it is. It's very hard to take a philosopher out of his or her context and say that, oh, you, you, because you're being critical about colonialism, that means that you're seeing all sides of it. So I think that it's in this, this campaign has gotten quite a lot of scrutiny because if you say that you're going to take away all white philosophers and you're saying that basically because you're white, you can't understand anything about colonialism, which in itself induces a whole new set of issues, but recognizing that having someone who's lived who has who's had another colonial experience who's had the colonial experience from the colonized perspective contribute to our understanding of what colonialism and the forms of terrorism that you're talking about too actually was to be able to see it mm-hmm. like that is i think really important precisely to avoid historical amnesia and to avoid doing the same mistakes again but in another format i think that is a reverse form of racism mm. or a reverse form of exclusion because if you don't have it has to be a melting pot it has yeah. to be a meeting of minds but it's about the balance and i think the focus should be more on the literature mm-hmm. than the philosophers themselves yeah because yeah. the students have to be exposed to authors from different parts of the world to really nobody could tell speaking as a colonized Person, mm. I guess nobody could tell our story better than we can, yeah. you know. Yeah. So it's really the source of it, as opposed to who's teaching it. Now, of course, yeah. who's teaching it is important, but I, like you said, like I don't think that a white professor can't be self-reflexive. But if all that I'm being exposed to and I've experienced it, you know, like especially at LSE, I even feel like we had like one lecture on post-colonialism and yeah. that was this kind of mismatch kind of yeah and i was like yeah. what's this what's this hodgepodge bullshit <laughs> like i'm like what you know and i was like well okay and everything else was literature from you know europe and the u.s and then all of the discourse most of it was and people from other countries felt like they kind of had to like oh yeah well let me insert a little you know chinese in here and a little training in here <laughs> mm-hmm. but one thing i want to add I'm kind of going back a bit is Priya like how you said that you know 
there's like the historical amnesia and colonialism is left out from mm-hmm. our perspective it's almost like it's taught a little too much mm-hmm. meaning that it's good that it's taught right it's good that we know it but the post-colonial education about who were the heroes that led emancipation how did we get out of indentureship how did we get to independence those stories weren't taught so it's mm-hmm. like we have this big gap it's like stuck in victimhood a little bit. A little bit or even a little bit like, oh, you know, we're kind of holding on to the past and we don't really have a sense of clear identity about how we yeah. go forward. Mm. And it's something about a lot of post-colonial cultures is like, you know, what does that independent nation look like, you know? And, and are we really, like Bob Marley would say, are we really emancipated from <laughs> mental slavery kind yeah. of thing, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. And that's why I think it was interesting for me as somebody that is like, an Indian person who's been born and raised in England to kind of get that like it I wonder what my perspective on things would have been if I'd been taught about colonialism from school and my parents and be able to get like how balanced would my view then be because I couldn't help but my parents tell me about it to just be like oh I had the victimhood I guess perception of it because I didn't really understand any other thing and then my granddad was the one who was like you have to understand x y and z as well i think it was an interesting way to fill in the gaps through all those things but how different would have been if i'd had it kind of ingrained into me a little bit from school as well do you think your friends like do do they did they question it at all or do they like do you feel like because you had that that perspective of being of being indian being able to hear it from your your parents perspective like did that give you something different that your friends didn't have? Were they asking questions? Did they even think about that's it? That's really? what I mean. That's like I don't. I went to a school. Where I was one of two brown people in my entire school, right? And it was all. I was. It was a joke. Me being Indian was a joke of the like. Almost, I was like the token brown girl. Like it was. It was made funny, and I had to make it funny. Like when this will this is a big digression, but there was a, there was a picture of me and the other brown girl at my school with her name, her picture, my name underneath it. I had to just make a joke out of it because it was funny and so yeah I think it's it's my friend it wasn't a thing they would talk about it's not that which again it's not a conversation people have you don't know yeah. what you don't, you don't know, know. Yeah. yeah exactly so you don't even know what known questions to ask okay speaking of unknowns <laughs> <laughs> When you don't know what to do because you're a foreigner, or when when they don't know what to do with you because you're a foreigner, we came up with a section, this segment called the Xenophiles, which Shout is out interesting. To Adam <laughs> <laughs> He'd kill me if I didn't do that. My brother. Which is interesting because um, when I heard Xenophiles, I was thinking like xenophobic, so I'll be telling stories of xenophobia. Oh, no. And then Eleanor said it was well, z- like xenophilia is like philia is like brotherhood and love of the foreign. And right? also the X Files. Right. Would allow me to sing the X Files. All the wordplay. Now that's like a preview to the British girl singing, by the way. <laughs> the prelude. So right. So Xenophiles is actually all of the above. Mm-hmm. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna kind of play a little game, and we want you guys to play along with us. Um, <laughs> Everyone at home, get out a piece of paper. And <laughs> just get And feel free, guys, to send us ideas of what you think are going to the Xenophiles. We'll be more than open to it. So first, Xenophile. Banana. <laughs> Can I please explain this? This is my favorite thing in the world. 
So Priya <coughs> says banana. She eats a you eat quite a lot of banana. She keeps <laughs> banana. Banana. Okay, now I said it weird, so banana. I ruined it. Banana. But I just didn't want to say 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 it to Barnarnar like. But so Priya eats uh, banana quite often, and she I the first time. I didn't even know that. But that it's does okay. not sound well, good. Oh, oh, okay. <laughs> oh my god! You guys That's get over said. it. That's what she said. So, and I, the first time I heard you say the word banana, I was so put off. Because you you said barnarnar. Can you say it? Just say it. (gasps) Now she can't. Now she she can't. Banana. Bernard. That's not okay. Banana. The way Banana. the way Louise. But that's it. the point, okay, right? Yeah. So is it is it playful and endearing, or is it just annoying and a little condescending when people make fun of your accent? <laughs> uh, can, can I just say yeah. that Louise does massively emphasize it? I may say it differently, but I do not say Barnarna. <laughs> you do. You just did. Barnarna. I think. Yeah. Well, it's like. Right before we started recording this, we were talking about Ed Sheeran. Uh, or as Louise called him, Ed Sheeran. Ed Sheeran. Is that Ed Sheeran? I know. I, know. Like, I think when it's like little things and you know the person and you're friends with them and they're saying something like Bananar or Ed Sheeran, you can make fun of them a little bit because you it's coming from a good place. If I was just to go up to someone at LSE whose <laughs> English is not their first language and they said something inappropriate and left, was like, ha ha, you can't speak English. I'd be like, first of all, I'd be a terrible person and why would you ever be friends with me? Like, tell me if I ever do something like that. But it would be so inappropriate and rude and it's not coming from a place of like, oh, we're silly, we say things in a silly way. It would be like, this person is standing up in front of people and trying to speak and I'm sitting there heckling them. That would be awful. Yeah. I think you're right to some extent that it, it does depend on the context and how well you know the person. But I used to, so I used to work in the U.S., as I said before, and like they used to make fun of my accent all the time. And I was really close to them. Mm-hmm. And I used to get so annoyed because mm-hmm. it used to feel as, especially like in a work setting, it yeah, used to feel as though... Well, no, it was a very casual environment, so we would all make jokes with each other, and I knew that they were doing mm-hmm. it out of love, because they just, I mean, they just love me, I mean, what can I say? <laughs> but it was kind of like, at, after a while, like, if somebody was doing it over and over again, it started to feel as though that's all you see me as, yeah. is the girl yeah. who talks, like, you know, so in I, a sing-song, and then also you, you, you're paying attention to how I say something and not what I say, so it takes away from the... Yeah. validity of my contribution or how seriously people yeah. take me so yeah. when I uh, was introducing you earlier I kind of made not fun of but tried to uh, imitate your accent was that offensive? <laughs> you did? you didn't, you didn't, you didn't, you didn't notice that I naturally have a bit of a Trinidadi accent as you can hear imitation so is the highest form of flattery <laughs> oh, <laughs> well, what did you say? hi I'm Mika oh, yeah you didn't hear that? Oh, God. <laughs> do you want to go to Dinorama? <laughs> That's like a little different, but you see, if it's over and over again, like if I was you and Banana, after a while, I'd be like, okay, Louise, we need, <laughs> we need another name, we need another word to make fun of. But then it also is like it's a very privileged thing where it's like nobody makes fun of my how I speak. Tons you know? of people make wait, fun of American accents. Wait, no, no, but like not to my face. And then if like if they were like, 
No, that's true. Like, who? Nobody comes up here and is like, oh my god. And then, like, if they do, it's like, haha, whatever. Yeah. It's not that funny. What? But, wait, wait, wait. But yes, when I learned to speak Norwegian, <laughs> oh my god. but I can't do it. You've never learned. And Louisa's like, when I learn, Louisa's like, like, you need to stop. Uh, I'm learning <laughs> Norwegian, it becomes then a funny thing. But, like, you know, people don't as much make fun of the way that I talk or, like, yeah. an American accent because it's just. It's assumed that I guess I. I and the know same with British accent. Yeah. I think it's probably more acceptable to make fun of my accent than it is to make fun of Mika's. Yeah, it's true. You know, that's. It's why I say that. There's more. There's more. Of, it's more acceptable to make fun of my accent than it is to make fun of yours, probably, because if you're making fun of a British accent, you've got that almost pr- or an American one. Mm-hmm. It comes from a space of like, this is privileged space, whereas you're just making fun, fun of, of like person. almost the. <laughs> The foreign accent yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it, I guess it really depends but I think that if you're doing a good job imitating the accent that's another thing Flattery. like if you make me sound like a Jamaican I'll be like okay that's fucking annoying yeah, oh you my know? God. I yeah. I, I cannot tell. Not that I can't, but I would, yeah. Can I hear them next to each other? Can you do a Jamaican accent? Oh, God. I'll try. Yeah, let me hear the. No, the no, not on cue. I'll have no, to do, do it like, you know. <laughs> no. Like with your voice? Yeah. yeah. But I think because I have a kind of an American accent and I'm not from America. You do. And uh, that's frequently made fun of. That it's like, haha, you're trying to be like Serena and Gossip Girl or something. And I'm like, uh. Who no. says that? <laughs> no, no, I was actually out with Lynn the other day when you came with us to the blues bar in Soho. And yeah. we met this guy. We went outside, just sat outside and talked. And this guy came out. And we started talking to him and he made so much fun of my accent. But I made, I made fun of it myself. So usually if people start making fun of it, I do too. Yeah, and then it becomes like this huge thing where it's like, ha ha ha! You're really, really trying to be American. I'm just, this is just how I speak. But English. That's, that's where you primarily were speaking English to other English speakers. Yeah. Is when you lived in America. Wait, yeah. okay, so playful accents, yas or nas? Nas. Yas. 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 Fresh off the boat. Yeah, yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> On us. You mean Meaning, as a... is it offensive or is it funny? The term. Is the it term term fresh, fresh off, off the, the boat. boat offensive or funny? Yeah, no. So shall we start with all, like the whole discussion from our perspective Let's of the day? The immigrants Let's... Free <laughs> well, fresh off the boat for me, I wouldn't so me and Mika learned the other day that it could be offensive. Can you first explain a bit what oh, it well, is? So fresh right. off the boat is what you use for someone that's like just now come now <laughs> just come from from the from the old off country the off the boat <laughs> to, then, to their new home still has the accent still has all the old traits like yeah. isn't polished kind of like you're not wearing a proper coat and it's cool you're still you know you're wearing your sari you've still got the accent yeah, yeah. you're wearing but, flip-flops in the winter <laughs> <laughs> but like I don't know. I it's what I I call my cousins phobby all the time. Like so, phob is the abbreviation. If they're being too fresh, I have so many abbreviations of the term fresh of the boat. That's how like normal I find it. And like and for us, like we we call ourselves fresh, fresh of the boat yeah, all the time. Like, like, I, like, like oh, I, I did the freshest thing the other day. Like I went home and I just ate curry and watched Bollywood films all the time. Which was funny because Priya and I are from very different places, right? And it was funny that like. Both of us were like, oh yeah, haha, fresh off the boat. And these two were like, 
Oh my god, that's so offensive. <laughs> like you cannot see me right now, people, but I'm clutching my pearls, my non pearls. I'm like, I'm like, she has on no like, pearls, <laughs> by the way. <laughs> I can't. You know, but like, okay, yeah. So technically, I could associate with being a f- migrant as well because my father immigrated to the U.S. So like, on my father's side of the family. I'm first generation American, but I would. Where's he from? Where's your father? Antigua. From? Oh. Mm-hmm. And my yeah, and on my mom's side of the family, they were all immigrants from blah blah blah, blah America, whatever. And so, <laughs> I don't. I just. It's just. It feels. It doesn't feel like it's funny. It feels mean, and I think that's the only times that I've heard it used, at least in an American context, except for this this new show, Fresh Off the Boat. But even Great then. Show. It's like, even then it's making fun of it, but I feel like it can only be used by those people for that show. If somebody then were to come up to me and be like, that guy, did you see him? He was so fresh off the boat. I'd be like, oh my God, I don't know you. (laughs) Talk to me. I don't know him. (laughs) 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 I'm not associated with that racism. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think that, I mean, it depends for sure where, what context you're speaking from again. Uh, And I think... I mean, in Norway, we, when we were discussing this, I just it, it, it just felt so uncomfortable because I was like, if you were to use that in Norway, and that might have to have to do with where, where I'm from in Norway and that kind of environment, um, but I I just felt like it was really yeah. offensive. The first thing I thought about is that you're making fun of like the refugee crisis. Was uh-huh. that what I thought of? I thought of like boats in the Mediterranean <laughs> and Mika. yeah, and Mika, I know. It's, Sorry. Honestly, and that's probably because that that term isn't used that much in the context where I'm from. And also, my grandmother started the Norwegian organization for asylum seekers through helping boat refugees. Mm. Was it called Fresh Off the Boat? It was called (laughs) Fresh (laughs) Off the Boat. I'm going to write that. It's kind of like hip hop, right? So, (laughs) please explain. explain. So, it's kind of like, okay, you know that hip hop is traditionally from black culture but then people sing things and they're things that are really meant for black people to say and understand but other people sing it but you're covered you're covered by the community it's okay like you could <laughs> you could say we could say guys we're giving you a pause yeah, yeah fine. we could just pass like patted my back and said it's okay i'm like it's okay lulu i'm like so what we're gonna do now that y'all know that y'all are covered just for now just rock with it for a little Wait, bit are we gonna right? go? Oh, we're gonna vote? No, no, what? We were gonna, we were gonna do fresh off the boat moments. Oh, what? Like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah? Yeah, but I'm still gonna vote now. But yes, yeah, 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 yeah. And we are definitely yes. yes. So fresh off the boat moment, Mika and British bathrooms. So guys, (laughs) this is a serious thing. Yes. You mean toilets? Here they're called the toilet. That's the toilet. You can still call it a bathroom. Le toilet (laughs) bathroom. You see? See how she literally morphs my accent. Bar. Everything has an R in it. (laughs) Bart. Bathroom. I'd go there. Okay. (laughs) So my British bathroom experiences are always very, very catastrophic. Oh wow! But it is that I burn my hands on the hot water because the hot water is separated from the cold water, which drives me crazy. Or there was this one time, like early on in the term, where I was using the bathroom and I never know whether the the little rope hanging from the ceiling. Whether that's a light or, or what it right. So I thought it was the light. Person. She comes in and she's like, What's this? I was like, It's the light switch. I always check because one time I pulled it and I pulled the alarm. For the and handicap 
bathroom. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. and then I'm because we don't really have <laughs> we don't have we, alarms in our bathrooms. We don't. We don't have. We don't have that in Trinidad. We don't. Have, we don't have many handicapped bathrooms in Trinidad. So. <laughs> You know, you're not really used to that. So, like, yeah. I'm like, oh, and it's red and it's right next to me. So, you know, if, if I wanted to turn on the light, I could turn it. And I pulled this thing hard. And I went in hard. So, I was like, Meh. and then I didn't hear a noise. That's the next thing. So, then I get this knock. Doop, 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 doop. And the guy's like, are you all right? And I'm like, why is he asking if I'm all right? Like, I need to finish up my stuff here. Like, why is he interrupting me? So, yeah, that's my fresh off the boat story. I don't have one personally, but I can tell a funny one of my mom's once told me because I'm not fresh off the boat I grew up in England so, um, she You're said fresh she, on the I'm land. fresh on in what the about land when you travel somewhere you ever had like a like when you went backpacking or anything like that oh I mean like oh okay yeah as in when I went to Bali I was I became the resident Indian person I don't really know how that happened but um I was on I was on this island in Bali and like I was just there with like flowers in my hair and really connecting with myself spiritually. You sound American. I know, this is my American. <laughs> so does she <laughs> Oh, is that what I sound like? I don't, I don't sound like that. Um, and this Indonesian, the, it happened for the first and this Indonesian guy was just like, India. And I was like, yep, that's me. Yeah. And then he started speaking you to me in Hindi and I was like, I don't understand Hindi, sorry. And then it happened again and this guy was like, India. And then it happened like in a continued row of every shop I went to on this tiny island, they would yell India at me. And then they started playing Bollywood music when I went into oh the shop. <laughs> And they started, and then they went to a restaurant. They started playing and serenading me, and I was like, "I'm, and I, serenading I'm you. British." And I was like, "I'm the only." And I think it's because Indonesia has like a lot of like Hindu culture, and so they and there wasn't for some reason there were no other Indian people on this island, this tiny <laughs> island, and so they were very, very taken with me. Oh and it kept oh. happening, and I was like, felt so. I felt so sorry to inform them that I didn't know any Hindi. They were I didn't know. They were like. <laughs> You know Shahrukh Khan? I was like, no, 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 you know them. <laughs> Sorry. I, Sorry. I mean, like, I don't, I guess I don't know if is this, a, is that, that's a fresh off the boat moment. Yeah, that so, is like, a then fresh I, off the boat. Then I have, like, a million of those from living in Italy. Like, literally the first day that I got there with my roommate, who is also, she's also a woman of color. She's much darker than me. And she has very, very curly hair. And so, like, I'm slightly lighter. My hair's... We don't look the same. She's, like, five feet tall. I'm five foot seven. We do not look alike whatsoever. But we would go out to, like... <laughs> we'd go to, like, a kebab shop. And this guy would be like, Oh, sisters! And like, what? They're like, yeah, from Brazil, right? And we'd be like, what? <laughs> I was like, who is like from Brazil. Brazil. And it gets so specific with it. I love when people get so specific. They're like, you are from this country, right? And you're like, no. And you're like, but I know you're from Ecuador. I'm like, have you ever been to Ecuador? Like, why do you know that? <laughs> like, you are I don't know that. from Egypt. Just like, how do, what, what's this? Like, what how do many you countries have? are you from? You are India. You are Egypt. It's like, no, I, no. America, dude. America, yeah. dude. Dude. <laughs> Cowabunga. I had a major fresh off the boat incident in the U.S. when I first moved to New York. And I was in last year of middle school. And I'm really tall. You can't see me, but I'm really tall. And I grew I grew this tall, I think, when I was then, 14. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then... How tall are you? I'm, I think I'm 6'1". Only? Maybe 6'2". Six. Six I'm like 185 in centimeters. I don't know. That's kind so, of... So anyway, I was uh, in this house, uh, middle school, and I was kind of uncomfortable with being tall, but I was trying to make it seem like I was comfortable. And so I was walking 
I remember it so clearly in my head. We were walking, I was walking in the hallway with uh, this tiny girl, Camilla, from my school. And we were talking and I was like, you know what? I love being high. Because I didn't know English that well. So I said hi. Because I, I mean, hi, hey, that's Norwegian. Hi is also hey. So I just assumed that you'd say hi. And so I went about talking about how much I loved being high. And then this little girl was like, I love being high too. I'm like, but you're not high. She's like, no, but I am. And then I thought about it for like a few days. And I was like, oh. I could see Louise like pondering. And now she ponders. She'd be like, I need to figure this out. I love being <laughs> I love being high. Okay, so by the way, it's six foot one. So that's oh. how that's how tall you are. So for our last section, just to round everything off, we thought we'd talk about this section is called the blender. Um, uh, and we just. Uh, <laughs> Don't no <laughs> no worry, don't no worry. Next episode, we'll get a real blender. It'll be like the <laughs> Hamilton Beach. Am I not enough? KitchenAid. No, um, not. And the idea is bringing in the kind of lifestyle, cultural topics from every different perspective and subculture that we are aware of, that we're part of. Or new um, things. Or new things. And blending it all together yeah. in this big old, big, big old, old Mexican pot. Just like the smoothie your mom made for us this weekend. It's great. Shout out to Gita. Shout out to Gita. What? 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 <laughs> um, so, because it's been on repeat on my Spotify for the past two, whatever, two Ooh, weeks. Two weeks. Let's talk about Drake, guys. Oh, more and life. more life. So, what's the, yeah, what is, okay, so more life. What, you know, where were you when more life came out? Let's just <laughs> point out that Ellen and I love this album. Mika doesn't like it, and Louise doesn't know it. No, no, I, I wouldn't say I don't like it. I would say that I can't rate it. I don't think. Why? Okay. So here's where we talk about a little bit of cultural appropriation. I give Drake credit for trying, but he didn't go far enough. It felt very like, oh, let me just take a little piece of diaspora culture from everywhere. Not really give it much depth in the album or give it much credit and just kind of fake a Jamaican accent here, throwing a slang, you know, with <laughs> them. Yeah, and more life is from Vice Carter, who is like a huge um, dance hall star, right? So no mention of him, no, no reference, you know? So it's almost like if he was telling a story, like true rappers, yeah. sorry, but true rappers, they tell stories and there's depth it and there's context within it. But it felt as though like, oh yeah, and I'm gonna just take a spice from South Africa and call it the Madiba rhythm. Cause oh yeah, they used to call Nelson Mandela Madiba. Oh, people gonna love that. I, yeah, exactly. yeah. I mean, like he calls um, it a playlist a little bit. No, I'm not, I'm not defending him. Yeah. But I'm defending. So um, <laughs> he calls it a playlist. So I think that's his way of kind of uh, not copping out a little bit of having to put too much into it. Like it's not a cohesive album. It's meant to just be like, here's some beats I threw together. Yeah. And, uh, enjoy the show. I mean, the album then. I will. Same I will say album. that like I love the album, but I'm not by any means saying that Drake is some like because there was like a Fader article that was like Drake brings together the Black Diaspora in one album. And I was like, no, he didn't. Like it's a really I love it. Like it's really it's a really good album. It's the old. I like a lot of the music on it but like even for me for someone that like this is not british grime okay yeah like i'm not a huge 
I don't know much about British crime to tell you what is, what but is I know crime? enough <laughs> to say us? that putting on yeah. just like one Skepta song and like a bit of gigs isn't your way of like of like telling people what. I hate that that's become the people's first experience of grime music. Grime? I mean, it that they're grime artists, but that shouldn't be the first the first like yeah. But like, what is music? Explain to us what is, what is grime. Yeah. Grime is kind of like the it's like the underground like rap music of in in england and like used mostly by like kind of in certain parts of london and stuff like by the by black communities Mm -hmm. so you have people like skepta who's been like the most main mainstream artist and stormzy and all these kind of different like i can't even talk much about it because i'm so not grime as you can tell by my accent but grime grime is a thing it's it's like a kind of not sound grimy it's a sub it's a subculture it's an underground it's underground urban music in february you used to term urban it's underground uh, british urban music um and like I just, but the one thing I will say is that people, and people have made the argument that like, oh, Drake's like appropriating grime, like blah, blah, blah. But I'm also kind of like, you know what, if these grime artists want to use someone like Drake, who's a huge superstar to get on the map, that's not a bad thing either. Right. Like, that's fine. But yeah. I, I was also, because we're talking about like how we, we see this from different angles. I don't, I fucking hate Drake. <laughs> I don't, I don't. No, what is the deal with Drake? Like, why is he <laughs> What's the deal with Drake, guys? Why, Ed Sharon? I like Ed Sharon better than Drake. I don't even like him that much either. Why is he's just a guy who's not singing, not rapping, and, not and making weird movements, yes. and that became a huge What's thing. What's the deal with Drake? Well, I love Degrassi. Do you know? <laughs> was he on Degrassi? He was on Degrassi. That's the worst excuse TV show that has ever existed in the history of TV. Pardon moi. Pardon moi. Pardon moi. It is, but that's not the point. The point is that it's terrible, and you just love it because it's terrible, and it was, you know... But can you also hate it because it's Degrassi terrible? Degrassi is, no. is a, is a okay. Canadian coming-of-age television program coming starring, television. starring one Mr. Drake Graham, and he played a basketball player-slash-rapper named Jimmy, who um, at one point in the show was shot and became paralyzed, but still played basketball. Then... Spoiler alert! <laughs> I'm not gonna watch this for you. But yes, okay. Moving on. Drake. People just love Drake. I don't. I don't love him, but I get that people love. Okay, Mika. <laughs> I get that people love Mika. I don't get that people love Drake. <laughs> no, the thing is that if you have, I think you all know I'm a big fan of uniting the Black Diaspora. So I think you know. No, never heard you if about if Jadena if Jadena did this album, he would do it so much justice. Explain who Jadena is. Jadena is a. Jodena? Jadena. Jadena? Jadena. Okay. J-I-D-E-N-N-A. He's an American artist. He's under Jadena Monet's label. I think I know who that is. And he sings a lot of kind of like R&B kind of fusion type stuff. Yes, the classic man song, right? And he is tight. And he went to, I think he got... He got into Harvard, went to Stanford instead, and like he studied music, but he's Nigerian American. So he brings in a lot of African beats and stuff to his music. And so coming from somebody like that, like it seems more authentic. No, I'm not saying Drake doesn't have the right, but do your homework, you know? Yeah. Do your homework, do it properly, and give some credit. Now the artists that are on the album, they will jump at it because they want some global recognition and it's good for them. And, I, you know, I'm not hating on them. I'm just saying, like, even there are other artists that do it too, like even mm-hmm. Beyonce, like she had the horns. I don't know if y'all noticed, like the horns and the hold up. Um, yeah. 
that is that is Jamaica and that's from sound clashes in Jamaica where DJs they clash with each other that's like a big thing in Jamaica so they clash with each other and the horns is like a very iconic Jamaican dance or well we say dub but it's like a dance whole thing mm-hmm. you know so you say it, dub yeah we say dub so wow, instead of so like for dance, all we say dub. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just think of dubstep, which like dub music. Dub. Yeah, dubbing over things. Yeah, we say that too. Dub over, but okay. whatever. So but anyway, wait, but yeah, is there that, is there an appropriate way to like appropriate? <laughs> well, I'm just saying, do your homework nice. and do it, do it some justice. Yeah. Like give credit where it's due and give some deeper context beyond just kind of slapping songs yeah. together. Yeah, well, know? that's like I guess the whole that NBA video you showed us. Would you say that's more of a kind of explain no, first? Yeah, that was yeah. the NBA video of the Bollywood? No. Oh yeah. well, basically, um, there's like a video going viral right now. About a Bollywood, what's what's it? Bollywood, it's, it's not Bollywood, right? It's Bangra music. Bangra music, and they're doing like a halftime. They did like the halftime show for the Golden State Warriors, mm-hmm. right? And the NBA as a league, like they've been doing a lot of um, a lot of like multicultural shows. So mm-hmm. for example, like the Chicago Bulls, this was last year. They had a steel pan um, rendition of the American national anthem. Which is like a big thing, and it's kind of like an ode to like the cultures that live in that city. Because like in San Francisco, there's a huge Asian, not just like East Asian, South Asian, North Asian, so Chinese, Indian, everything population. Yeah, Yeah, it's big. So anyway, so they did the dance and stuff, but I feel like that was more authentic. In that, yes, they they mixed in some of the American culture, but they were from that culture. So it kind of gave it some more authenticity. I guess I just didn't understand. No, I mean, I liked the dancing. It was wonderful. It was a great show of this different culture. But I guess I just didn't understand the, what, the point that it made or why they were doing it or what it had to do with the basketball. Or maybe because I don't... With the basketball. With the basketball. Please drop because, the ball. I guess I don't I'm not you're not down with the kids it's just entertainment it's like any other kind of I get it I think for me that feels almost worse because it's like here's just this culture we're putting it out there in front of you look at how different it is and it doesn't feel integrated Mm. and that's I didn't I didn't get that it was it didn't feel bad to me I just didn't understand I understand it. But I do agree. It's kind of the idea of, like, who's who's bringing it to the mainstream is mm-hmm. an Im- important thing. And so, like, I mean, there are problems with both. Like, I think that was, like, it was a really cool, like, it's always cool when you see something, like, a, like, a, like Asian music being brought into the mainstream, whatever. But it also, like, it was also kind of, like, a spectacle in a sense as well and it's I don't know how it's a, it is just a bit annoying sometimes that you've just got like oh look this is our way of like bringing something to the mainstream let's have like Bhangra with Dr. Okay, you don't need to put Ed, Ed Sheeran in there and like doing Edouard it's, Sheeran I feel, I feel like there's a right way of integrating it and stuff like that maybe that's just I don't know. I don't know what the right way is. I think it's interesting what you say with if it's if it's coming from an authentic place. I mean, this goes back to things we've discussed yeah. earlier too. Is if if it's authentic and if the if the person 
who's a part of that culture is representing it, then yeah. it's fine. But if someone else is like, oh, I'm Indian, I'm gonna dance, <laughs> that would be so. Imagine me going up in like a sari and being like, that, la, 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 la. that would be so inappropriate. 85 centimeters. Yeah. I guess, I guess for me, I get it because well, Trinidad has like. There's a lot of cultures coming together. So we have something called Chutney Soka, for example. Mm-hmm. So soca music is kind of the Chutney party. Like yeah, it's kind of like the party good. version of Calypso. That's soca. And it's kind of become like Trinidad music across the board, right? But then there's Chutney Soka, which is like a combination of, of, yeah, of Chutney music, which is Indian, and come, coming together with... And for Diwali, like, we will dress up with saris and then emancipation, people will dress up in African garb. So it's kind of like if that... If the place where this is coming from, mm. if that represents the different cultures there... I don't see anything wrong with it because mm. you would have like people in San Francisco who are Chinese or who are Indian or whatever and they are listening to Ed Sheeran and they are listening to no, hip yeah, hop yeah. and stuff so for them that's okay to mix the two together mm. yeah no I mean like it makes sense it makes sense to me that they did it I, and I think that there should be a more like interplay of different cultures and music and and pop culture but I I think for me there feels like a difference between Here's something without context. Look, there it goes. But why do you need context? Like you didn't give because me any context no, for an American can, artist at halftime. But, and but the I think you're talking about the basketball city. as a context, or what are you talking about? I'm talking context? about in the ba- I'm talking about in the basketball game. This isn't just being shown to that audience there, in in California. It's being broadcast to the entire country. And my worry is that when you just kind of do something that's like a show and tell of here's another culture, look at how other they are. You don't necessarily give people the context of in California where this is coming from, this is a huge part of this culture here and now we want to bring it to everybody else. And maybe that was part of the video that I didn't see. I don't think that's necessary. I think it it can often be like too too much of like here's another other culture. Look at how different and funny and fun it is. And then without any kind of context, that can happen. No, I, I agree, completely agree it can. And I think just but just to like, why well, was, just to kind of go back what I was saying before, I think now after you say that, I do agree that like, I don't, I don't think it's about context. I think sometimes like, it doesn't have to be as thought out as that. It can just be like, yeah, I agree. It, it, anyone is... from a different culture should be able to just be able to like showcase where they're from and yeah. bring something in the mainstream without having to contextualize it. Because why should they? They just want to, exactly. they just want to, you know, bring some bring their own thing to the table, which is what I think needs to happen more without having the whole weighted debate about it. Well, guys, I hope you enjoyed our first episode, our first tr- yeah. our first episode of My Friend the Foreigner. Um, My friend the foreigner. We will eventually have social media handles for you guys to send in different uh, things for maybe our our Xenophiles episode or questions that you have or things to, for you to be involved. So stay tuned for the next episode for that. And we're also going to have some more voices in our own coming on mm-hmm. in later episodes. We're thinking of having people to interview that have maybe some different perspectives or other expertise than mm-hmm. we have that they can bring to this very multicultural table. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Yes. Thank you for listening, guys. Bye. Bye. Bye.